there's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm hoping the Big Ten has to modify their system for us. <laughs> Probably like getting grade 10 sandpaper rubbed on your face every day. I mean, we say it all the time, whether, you know, there's two types of turds. You're a sinker or you're a floater, but you're still a turd, right? I mean... Um, we're, we're, we are about players and players playing the plays and not necessarily the plays. Welcome to the Varsity Club Podcast. My name is Derek Peterson. Joining me this week, I have our Hale Varsity's recruiting expert, Hale Varsity's resident Clipper hater, <laughs> Hale Varsity's resident uh, Peloton flexer. Greg Smith, how are you? I, I am very well. I appreciate you having me. It's been a very long time since you've been on this podcast. We tried to have you on for the college football playoff pod that we did, I think, two weeks ago, uh, and you were unavailable because you were getting something delivered. Did you happen to listen to that podcast? I have not yet, actually, no. Did- okay, we tr- we trash-talked you at the end. Oh, no. All right, cool. That's fine. That's yeah. fine. Okay, yeah. I, I definitely have to check it out now. I am we, yeah, we I'm check. behind on every podcast that I listen to, so you like don't feel bad. I'm, everyone I'm behind on. We uh we talked trash on you for thinking that um, group of five teams don't belong in the college football playoff, and then Cincinnati and Coastal Carolina both lost their bowl games. So, so what's the logical conclusion there? Nothing. The logical conclusion is that you can't you can't draw conclusions from bowl games. Oh, you saw Florida. You know about this. I mean, I guess. Though I will say to refute my own point, there was I think the ratings. I forget which game it was now, but the ratings for one of those group of five schools teams bowl game um, was actually very good. It was one of the higher ones of the entire bowl season. Um, uh, that was probably Coastal Carolina Liberty. Probably. So then, so that, yeah, that was one of the best games of the season. Yeah, that poked a little bit into my nobody wants to watch these chump teams play. Like, so it, you know, <laughs> that works. Chump teams. That's Come on, we, man. Here's our, my argument. Here's my argument. The way that you get those teams to not be chump teams and to actually be legitimate teams in the eyes of Greg Smith yeah. is you put them in the playoff. And so then kids, when they're deciding where they're going to go to school, will see, hey, that team was in the playoff. I can get there if I go here instead of what it is now, where it's just like, okay, I have to go to Alabama or Clemson or Ohio State or, you know, sometimes, you know, whatever big name uh, SEC school at the time to get to the playoff. You start spreading the wealth a little bit more. Maybe. I, I guess I could go with that, which is really kind of just the final piece of that, because it used to be like in order for you to get drafted or to really get your name out there, you had to go to one of those teams. But you can do that from anywhere now, which has made college football better, I think. But then on the other hand, to really compete for the championship, honestly, there's about seven schools that you have to go to at this point. Yeah, what's wild is, and, and we've talked about this um, a couple times, is like, Kids nowadays, kind of like the motivation, like the motivation in the 90s was, okay, where am I going to win a national championship? And the motivation now is like, who's going to get me to the league? 
Right. Like kids still want to win national championships, but it's like, who's going to get me to the league. And I was reading a mock draft this morning, actually from Matt Miller of the first round that had North Dakota state's quarterback going as a first round quarterback this year. Okay. So yeah, so it really doesn't matter. Like if you can play, like they're going to find you, but that doesn't mean you're going to actually get them play for, you know, the big prize. Cole Payton, man. So he's going to be a first round draft pick in four or five years. That that will be something that will definitely be like a thing that people watch for around here. (laughs) We're recording this on a Thursday morning. Um, This podcast is going to exclusively focus on the defense. We're going to talk a bunch about the defense, where they're at, the returns of Cam Taylor, Britt, and JoJo Doman. Kind of just what, just like what are our thoughts on on that side of. Nebraska's football team after now three seasons of Scott Frost, because that side was the side that came in with um, far lower expectations, probably a a lot lower bar to clear um, in terms of looking like a success. And, and I would say that I think they've cleared that bar after three years and they're still not viewed as a, as a success um, by some. So we can get into that a little bit. I do want to note off the, off the top um, that because we're recording this on Thursday, there's a lot of stuff that happened on Wednesday. There's a lot of stuff that's happening um, outside of the realm of sports right now that are obviously bigger than sports. Um, but I do want to say that, like, for me personally, when I'm in a, a bad headspace or when I need to kind of clear my thoughts or things like that, um, I take a drive around Lincoln and I listen to a podcast. I listen to a basketball podcast. It's either the Low Post or the Hoop Collective with Brian Windhorse, whatever's kind of the newer podcast of the day, just to sort of distract myself. Um, and, and I know that there will be some people that say, hey, don't distract yourself. But sometimes, like, we're all humans. It's human nature. We kind of need that sort of break. Um, so the intention for this is to just talk football. So um, if you're looking for a distraction, I hope this can provide that for you. If you're looking for... I don't know, a reprieve. I hope this can provide that for you. If you're just wanting to listen to football, we're going to talk about football. So I appreciate everybody that listens to this. Um, thank you for subscribing to all of the Hale Varsity podcasts as we move into this new year. Um, we had a kind of a, a cool little shift kind of later on in 2020 where lots of people at Hale Varsity and lots of some of your favorite voices got podcasts, Greg Smith included. He's got a podcast that now he's a big shot and doesn't come on mine anymore because he's got <laughs> his own. Um, Sasha Durkin, who is producing this for us today, has her own podcast with Aaron Sorensen called The Mind Your Own. You can listen to that too. So just want to say thank you to everybody that listens to this. Keep subscribing, keep reading HaleVarsity.com. Um, and we're going to talk some football. So Greg, let's start with the returning guys. Cam Taylor Britt, who is a junior, a true junior, third-year junior, will come back for his fourth year in Nebraska. Um, big win, I think. He, he, I think he could have gone to the NFL and, and would have been drafted, I think. I think he's legitimately one of the best Big Ten uh, corners out there. JoJo Doman, a senior, also decided to come back. So he will use his free year of eligibility to play one more season in Lincoln. These are big, big wins for Eric Schnander, the defensive coordinator, um, for Mike Dawson, the outside linebacker coach, and for Travis Fisher, the DB coach, yes? Yes, huge wins for both of them. And, it, and it's interesting to me um, that they both are coming back, I think, for a little bit similar reason in that I think they both tested the waters uh, for the NFL draft and both saw that they had some improvements to make to, to improve their stocks for the draft, and so they're coming back to school. 
Um, and I, I, but it's a huge deal for Nebraska's defense to get both of them back because I, I mean, just thinking through those two, Taylor Britt and Doman are probably their two best defenders um, from the team last year. And so to get them both back for another year as you continue to progress some of the other pieces around them um, is a really big deal. And then if you really dial into their specific positions, you know, the secondary we thought of coming into last season is kind of the strength of the defense and maybe the strength of the team. And I thought that they – really rounded into form later in the season, maybe a little bit later than you might have expected coming in, but they did play good, solid football. But you still got the questions over who else is potentially coming back in that secondary. You had some injuries um, that happened last year to guys that you would think are taking the next step, like Miles Farmer in the season, Braxton Clark kind of in the preseason, right? So there were still a little bit of question marks with that group. So getting Cam Taylor-Britt back, really stabilizes that unit, right? And then on at outside linebacker, if you dial into it, if as you basically return all of the contributors, then I guess we should say as of now, because you just never know in the world of college football about guys transfer. But as of right now, all of those guys are coming back from a group that a lot of people thought really improved last year, outperformed expectations at outside linebacker with Mike Dawson coming into the fold or coming back into the fold. So I think it's for a lot of reasons, it's a big deal that those two guys came back. Plus when you talk about this defense too, like, isn't the whole thing structured around we want playmakers that are going to make game-changing plays in crucial moments? Not necessarily we're going to be like 2011 Alabama. We're going to hold everybody we play to eight points a game, but more like we're going to give up points, but we're going to have guys that are exceptional at making standout plays when they matter. So you you look at like Cam Taylor Bridge stretching for that that pass deflection against Penn State, right? Like, yep. would you say that these are their two best playmakers? Yeah, I would say that. Yeah, I think that that's fair because I'm trying to, as you were saying that, I was thinking through like the big plays that you can picture in your mind that both of these guys have made, whether it's interceptions with Cam Taylor Britt. Um, He's also had some like strip sacks out there, like just big sacks. Jojo Doman obviously has had that too. um, And also has had pass breakups as well. So you can, you picture both of them as guys that, when there's a big play to be had or to be made, those guys more often than not are the two that are making it for this team. Doesn't Cam's return also make things a little bit easier on a guy like Braxton Clark, who would have to be coming back from injury? So it's not necessarily... So like, let's say Cam decided that he was going to go to the NFL draft. You've already lost to Caprio Boodle. Suddenly you're like, okay, we need two of the three of Nadab Joseph, Quentin Newsom, and Braxton Clark to be available to go right away. And now you only need one of those guys. Right. Right. And I think that it, it just gives you more options. Right. So like, I don't, I, I, I think that one of those guys for sure will step up and be pretty good. Um, but it lessens the pressure on all of them to do it right away. And it just gives you options, which is great. Um, and I do think that it allows one of those guys at this point, probably Clark um, to be worked in and say the third cornerback. And then he just kind of gets brought along and then he can kind of burst on the scene. I think it, it just helps so much without having to force those guys into as much action as you would have if Cam Taylor Brennan had gone to the league. I, Cam's, and I know we're kind of like focusing on Cam instead of JoJo in this, but Cam's three years are so interesting um, when you talk about like, okay, what has Nebraska accomplished with this new coaching staff? 
you look at a guy like Cam, when he came here, everybody was like, okay, yeah, this is a really athletic dude. This, this is, this is an athlete that you can mold into something. Um, he has a high ceiling, so to speak, but he was also a high school quarterback, right. a cornerback. Nebraska looked at him and said, we can turn this guy into a really good cornerback. And Travis Fisher said, I can make this guy an elite cornerback. And in three years, they did it. He's one of the better cornerbacks in the conference, if not one of the best cornerbacks in the conference. And it took them three years to get a high school quarterback to that level. Are you surprised that after his third year here at Nebraska, we were talking about Cam Taylor Britt as a guy who could potentially leave early and get drafted? Yes. I mean, you can't, there's no way to say, yeah, I saw this coming that he would be a guy that would have NFL considerations after year three. Um, and, and to then really, but the, to me that it, it was even more surprising that he really played right away. Like <laughs> he got here and basically like they, we have to find a way to get this guy in the mix, like to be able to go from being a high school quarterback to being able to transition so quickly um, into we have to find ways to utilize this guy. Like, that's pretty remarkable. Um, it's a testament to him, clearly, first and foremost, but it's also a testament to Travis Fisher and Eric Chenander and their ability to recognize his talents and then get the most out of them as well. Do you think the returns of JoJo and Cam um, mean that there probably won't be, or or at least it's less likely, that there is a JUCO or transfer addition I guess it wouldn't be Juco, but a transfer addition to either the, the, the secondary or the, the linebacker position. I think that it is, it is less likely now for outside linebacker for sure. Um, I think that I think we're honestly still in the same spot though with secondary because it now just gets focused on the safety position and that will change based on what ends up happening with this Muth and Williams. Um, if one either or neither <laughs> decide to come back, um, then you, I think Nebraska really needs to look at adding a safety uh, through the portal because then you, you really are thin at the safety position. Um, and so you, you would need to look at that uh, for sure. You started talking about them. I panicked a little bit internally because I was like, damn it, now one of them is going to announce what they're doing between the time this podcast is recorded <laughs> and the time it gets published. So let's let's cross our fingers. I feel fingers like that happens to all of us every yeah. week. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it happens anytime somebody records a podcast. Right. That's, that's usually the way this business works. Um, where are you at with the secondary? When you look at some of their numbers – it wasn't like they were elite, but but we thought they had um, higher end talent. And when you heard from other coaches like PJ Fleck, they talked about, yeah, this is one of the better secondaries in, in the in the in the conference. Um, Boodle was a guy that teams didn't want to throw at. Mm-hmm. Taylor Britt was a guy that that just kept getting better and better as the season went on, and, and became a guy that teams were like, okay, who are we going to throw at? Okay, let's target linebackers. Um, the safeties, when they didn't hit people with their helmets, were fine. At the same time, when you look at some of their numbers, they weren't great at limiting explosive pass plays. Uh, they weren't great at forcing quarterbacks into incompletions. And teams generally moved the ball against them through the air. And now, like, when you look at their run defense, they were a lot better there. So, like, it stands to reason, like, if a team can't move the ball at will on you uh, with the run, 
then they're going to lean on the pass a little bit more. And it's also not like Nebraska was in a ton of blowouts this year. So teams were passing. Um, so there, there are, there are some situations there. We have to kind of look at it with a little bit of context, but like, were you, did you feel like the, the secondary this season in terms of defending the pass was what you expected below what you expected or outperforming what you expected them to do? I would probably, I would have to say below what I expected coming into the season, but not like a, by a large margin. I think really the biggest disconnect for me from what I thought that they could be and what ended up happening over the 2020 season is I thought that they would have more takeaways and more kind of impact plays to change games. Like I, I really just thought that that would kind of be a staple of what this group did. Um, and it really wasn't, right? And so that, I think, was the thing. I, they gave up explosive pass plays, but it feels like they were either – and it, it stays reason about like what this like team kind of feels like overall, but it's also the defense too, is that things either really went poorly or they really went well. Like there just wasn't a lot of just steady, consistent play. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I feel like that's what I thought about the secondary when, when you boil it down to them as well is, is is that it was either going really well or really poorly. And so I think that the – I thought that they did, like I said, got better during the season. And I thought the safety play in particular improved as the year went on um, and just filling, you know, filling the lanes and alleys better more consistently. I thought the tackling improved over the season, like you alluded to, you know, not lowering the head and all of that. Um, I think still needs to – it's still just perplexing as to how that's still happening on such a consistent basis. But overall, I like what you were getting from the safety spot. And so, yeah, overall, I think that they really were a little bit below my expectations, but really because they weren't producing those explosive plays or takeaways um, from that position. It is worth noting too, that, that they were one of the, the best teams in the country at limiting opponents to field goals. Once they got into the red zone, opponents scored on only 51.4% scored touchdowns, I should say, on only 51.4% of red zone trips, which was 15th nationally. So, like, that speaks to talent in the secondary, in, mm-hmm. in, in coverage, because the field is smaller, and so you can you can sort of rely on your guys to make plays, so to speak. Um, you're not going to have a ton of busts in the secondary because you're not going to have guys running open downfield. You're not going to have to worry about switch offs and things like that. Um, and it also speaks to just, just being better at stopping the run. They were 30th nationally in stuff rate. They had, they, they stopped runs by running backs at or behind the line of scrimmage on 21% of carries this season. So, um, there was a lot of good, there was a lot of good. And the thing that you, that you brought up turnovers, you know, you had seven all year. I think when anybody starts to critique the defense, I think that's the only place you can go. You can look at the Illinois game where they gave up 41 points and and there was just sort of a malaise um, that day. And then you, you, you can really only focus on turnovers. Um, if you look at, at kind of, and I did this and I should have pulled the numbers up and I'm dumb and I didn't um, what's new, but like the, the series that I did uh, right before the new year, kind of numbers that define Nebraska's season. One of the things that, that I looked at was you look at, and this is, this is actually Brandon Vogel's thing. So I can't take credit for it. Um, you look at like takeaway opportunities. He calls them take ops. Take so you look at take ops. Yeah. You look at expected turnovers versus actual turnovers. And then you can kind of like see like, okay, this team actually was maybe just unlucky. I think they had 
recovered one fumble this year yeah, and just- forced forced a bunch of them. Part of it was was an unlucky bounce. Part of them, they, they were they, the the actual turnovers were a lot lower than the expected turnovers, which is interesting to think about. Um, I'm not really sure I can like analyze and say it happened because of X, Y, and Z, and and it'll improve because of X, Y, and Z. But it is interesting to think about. Um, so defense overall, they gave up 29 points per game in conference play this season which is a four-year low. The points per game has been trending down every year since 2017. It was the, if you look at, if you look at defensive statistics in a, in a lot of the areas that matter to them and to the way that they play, they were among the worst in the country in 2017, the last year of Mike Riley. And I shared this on Twitter a couple of days ago when somebody was saying that Shenander should be fired. Um, they were among the worst in the country. If you look at things like yards per carry, things like points per game, uh, things like third down percentage, they are trending in the right direction across the board. Are you surprised that the defense has made more progress in three years under Scott Frost than the offense? (laughs) Yes. I mean, you kind of have to be um, based on... Why do you think that is? Um, because you have, because the reason that this staff, namely Scott Frost was hired because he was running up and down the field on everybody putting up points. Right. Oh, I should say, I should say, hold on. It's obvious why that it's why obvious why that's surprising. I'm sorry. I should say, why do you think it is that they have been, that they have shown more growth? Um, I actually, I'm trying to think how to say this. I think that the development of defensive players overall has been better and more consistent than the development of offensive players at Nebraska. Like if you just think about it, like offensively you had kind of Adrian Martinez burst on the scene. You've had Wandale Robinson like be everything he was advertised essentially since he got here. And then you've had some good, a couple of good offensive linemen as well in there defensively, like there are guys at basically every level of the defense that you're like, oh, okay, well, that guy kind of outperformed what we thought, or he's coming along faster. We talked about already about Cam Taylor Britt and going from being quarterback to a guy who's a draftable corner in just three years. Um, you've gotten you've gotten solid play from the safety group. You have guys like – Casey Rogers. Yeah, I've got you've got Casey Rogers who who's made a jump. Um, Ty Robinson has been steadily coming along. Um, you got Luke Reimer um, who kind of burst on the scene. All he really needs at this point is to be able to stay healthy and stay out there. Nick Henrich kind of showed why he was so coveted, switching back and forth between inside and outside linebacker to where I think he led the team in tackles during that Rutgers game. Um, and I'm probably forgetting guys like there are a number of guys that you can talk about on that defense that have kind of progressed at either the rate that was expected of them or have even been ahead of schedule. And I don't, you can't say that about the offense in the same way to this point. Um, And so I find that really interesting. And as you kind of alluded to at the start of this, while all of that is happening, you still have just, if you just ask your average fan, they are still more negative towards the defensive staff in general, and especially the defensive coordinator 
than they are towards the offense. And I'm not even saying that people just need to be slinging arrows at the offense. I'm just saying just tamp it down a little bit on the rhetoric around the defensive staff because the facts don't bear out some of the anger that they're getting. So so just stop slinging arrows, period. Oh, or yes. We, we yeah. Could, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, facts don't care about your feelings, Craig. Yeah, I guess not. You, you need to, to come be a noted sports nerd like me. I, I wonder if Nebraska's pedigree and the, the pedigree of the black shirts plays into that. Mm-hmm. While simultaneously people's expectation of what Chenander was based off of maybe like the last four or five games that they watched of UCF in 2017, when it was clear for us was going to be the next head coach, mm-hmm. right? Like what was the, what was the one game from 2017 UCF that you can point to and say every single, well, not every single, but a huge percentage of Nebraska fans watched that game. It's probably Memphis and the AAC championship game, right? Memphis was the first one I thought of. Yeah. Where they gave up a bunch of points. I, f- I want to say it was like 50. They were in the fifties. I don't have the game in front of me. I want to say it was in the fifties. I wonder if that lasting image of, okay, this is just an offense that is just going to outscore everybody. And it's going to win games, you know, 56 to 50 combined with, you know, bone crushing black shirts of the nineties where, you know, we're giving up 10 points a game. We're shutting people out multiple times a season is sort of, creating a very, very high standard for Chenander, a higher than um, than reasonable standard, maybe, so to speak. Um, I don't know. I could be wrong. You could disagree with me on that, but that's kind of, that's kind of what I wonder about. I don't, I don't necessarily disagree with you, but I, I, I think that there's also another layer to that, and that's people, because of the history of the program and how they, they won with they had great offenses, obviously, during those times too, but like they had great defenses, and you do associate the black shirts with keeping people um, either scoreless or the point total very low. But there are, there's a segment of the fan base that hasn't adjusted to the modern game or just like a shift in what good defense is. And I feel like we've all, like as a staff, we've talked about this before about like what good defense looks like. I actually feel like, I feel like Nick Saban actually talked about this this year about how things have changed and how you view good defense. But I feel like there's a segment of people that only view good defenses as you're holding the opponent to single digits or you're shutting them out. And if you're not doing that, it doesn't matter what else is happening. Um, because you're not playing good defense. And if that's going to be what you hold this team to, then you're never going to be satisfied. But you also wouldn't be satisfied with any number of teams around the country because I would ask you, who's doing that these days? Like, you just don't see that. Like, we talk about Alabama because it's the easiest comparison, but they're not doing – that's not how they're winning – or I was going to say about to win the national championship. We don't know. The game has not been played yet. I'm just assuming. Sorry, Ohio State, um, Nebraska's BFF. But – That's not how teams are winning right now. Right. Northwestern had legitimately one of the two or three best defenses in the country, and they lost the Big Ten championship to Ohio State. Right. Because Ohio State had a better, just a better offense. Um, And, and like, that that is uh, important to bring up for another reason, because I I don't want it to seem like we're saying that, hey, the defense is good. They've done their job. 
don't have to keep growing. No, they have to keep growing. It's not a finished product. Uh, 56th nationally in yards per carry. They got to be better than that. They have to keep improving. It's not, it's not like, okay, you know, they've made progress. Now they're good. Now they're an average defense. They were a terrible defense in 2017, four years ago. Now they're an average defense. Now you got to keep growing. The issue is that the growth that the defense has made hasn't coincided with offensive growth. And so they're still not winning football games. They gave up fewer than 30 points in six of eight games this past season. Should have been enough if the offense that was expected came right. or, or was starting to look like what was expected in a year three. So, you know, when we talk about like, hey, Chenander's doing his job, right? It's not like they are perfect because they're not. Like you said, it's not like they're consistent drive in and drive out. They have those moments, those kind of frustrating and, and maddening moments where the offense finally puts a good drive together and scores some points and either gets close, closer, or takes a lead or ties the game. And then suddenly, then the defense gives up the seven-play, 80-yard drive that gives the lead right back, right? Like those, those things got to get worked out. This is not a finished product by any means, but they are making progress. And... To me, that's like the most interesting part of these first three years is that I think this defense is a lot better than anybody thought that it was going to be. And a year a year ago, in 2019, with Darian Daniels and Khalil Davis and Carlos Davis on the defensive line, they were better than anybody expected. And then, because they lost that line, the expectation was, okay, well, they're going to take a step back, right? They lost Mo Berry. They lost their entire defensive front. It's hard to replace an entire defensive front, even if those guys aren't all all Americans. And they didn't. They continued to take steps forward. And and I think, you know, when you, when you think about kind of the trajectory of this team and you think about, like, what has Nebraska accomplished in three years under Scott Frost, not a lot of winning, no, which is frustrating. But, you know, sometimes I think when Frost says the progress in this building is evident, mm-hmm. sometimes people will will think, like, He's only talking about the offense because he only coaches the offense, but maybe he's talking about the defense too. They're making progress. They're being, they're, they're in every game. The only game they weren't in was Ohio state. And then I guess they got close against Illinois in garbage time. So six out of eight, they were in every single game against really good teams. So they're making progress, which is good to see. Right, and I think that that's uh, – I, I do think – I think that's an important point to make, though, that they, like, I feel like people need to know that we're not saying that they're a finished product or they're great or elite by any means, um, but it is clear that that the defense is making far more progress at this point than the offense has, and that is surprising. But it's also talking – like, when you say that they held opponents – Nebraska held opponents to under 30 points in six of their eight games, that honestly should be good enough to win you more games than you lose, right? And if you can combine- And that's what Frost said this year. That's what yeah. Frost said this year. He said the defense played well enough for us to win in most of our games. And when he says most of our games, I'm assuming he leaves out Illinois and Ohio State when they gave right. up 50 points. Right. Right. And so when you then, especially then, when you combine that with what you thought and pictured in your mind that the offense should look like, especially to this point in Frost's tenure, you're like, wait a second, what's happening here? We really do need to explore why this offense is what it is because I actually wrote about this, I think it may have been yesterday, it was recently, um, where 
Nebraska's offense, if you say that they just were top 40, it was in the mailbag. And the t- if they were top 40, if that was the thing that I could pick for them to be in scoring offense, which sounded like a cop-out of an answer, but it wasn't, that would put them at 31.8 points per game, which ironically is what Iowa actually was last year. Um, and then you do flip that. Then all of a sudden you really do win more games than you lose if your defense is performing at that same rate. So it, it's just kind of – it makes it even more frustrating because I think that the defense would be better if they were getting more help from the other two phases of the game. We haven't gotten special teams yet, which has also been just kind of an anchor weighing down the defense as well. But if we just keep it to the offense, if they were holding up their end, I think the defense would be even better um, than it has been to this point. This is the year for special teams. We don't have to talk a ton about them, but this is the year for special teams. Every single team that has been coached by Jonathan Rutledge has made a leap from Below average to bad to very bad, they've made a leap heading into his second year with them to like really good, like really like top 20. And it's been everywhere he's been dating back like 15 years. It's ridiculous. So I I feel like this has to be the year. And if this isn't the year, if special teams is once again bad, and by this I mean 2021, special teams is again bad. I think it's fair to question whether you should have an actual on-field coach for special teams that yeah. is just special teams, which people have probably turned off by given the last time didn't go very well. It's just been my, like, it, like I don't want to go super deep, but like it, it has been mind blowing how like bad special teams, no matter what the arrangement is, has been here. Like it really is kind of crazy to think about how bad special teams is. To your point about the offense putting them in positions, though, when I shared the numbers that I shared on Twitter on Wednesday morning, a lot of the the comments that I saw were, you know, okay, now now I'm seeing one that says, right, but that's stats from eight games compared to at least 12 in a normal season would still be lower, but your stats are skewed. No, they're not. They're per game, dummy. (laughs) I like to hear you arguing with someone on Twitter on the podcast. Per game, my guy. Also, per carry is not whatever, whatever. I do this thing where I will talk to inanimate objects. Alex gives me a hard time for it all the time. Like if, uh, I don't know, something falls off the counter, I'll like look at it after it's like clanging around on the ground and be like, excuse you. She thinks it's hilarious and she gives me a hard time for it all the time. Um, (laughs) people say with a better offense, those numbers look better with an offense that doesn't put them in bad positions all the time. Those numbers look better. Do you think that will be the case? Or do you think there will be some trade-off if, and when the offense gets humming, because then they're not taking 11 plays to score. Instead they're taking four and suddenly the defense is playing a few more snaps. I wonder if it's, if it's significant enough to matter because they're already playing a ton of snaps in a game. But do you think there will be this trade-off effect when the offense finally figures it's, it's, it's stuff out um, and is able to convert yards into points instead of just coming up with yards. Do you think there will be a trade-off effect where suddenly the defense will start giving up a a few more points? No, I I think it will go the other way. I think that that will help improve the defense even more. And I think it, and I think that part of what you said is really key that they are already playing a lot of plays. So they're kind of used to that. But if you're still like, even if you're playing the same um, high amount of plays, 
but you're just in different position, right? So if you think about kind of the beginning of that Penn State game where Nebraska comes out hot um, or the beginning of, was it Purdue game where they, you know, score pretty quickly as well. When your defense goes out there with a lead, very fired up, and it also changes how the opposing offense has to operate, and it gives your defense then more stuff to be able to do to them as far as blitz packages and all of that, you can force the issue. I think that that all completely changes how your defense feels when they go out there because it's one thing to have to keep going out there to play a bunch of plays when the offense has put you in a bad position because I don't care how much they say that, oh, we've got their back and it's okay. Eventually, you're going to go out there like, oh, man, here we go again. But if you're going out there because they just scored in two plays and there's Adrian running down the sideline and high-fiving after a touchdown, you're just going to feel better about having to go out there. So, no, I think that that will actually make the defense play better. And one thing you do not want is your defense feeling like they have to score points for the overall team to stay in the game. Right. Which I feel like is a situation that – and they won't, they, they won't admit to this – they won't ever say it publicly. It does them no good to say it publicly, but I feel like there are maybe that was maybe a thought with a few guys a handful of times in the last couple of years where they were like, we have to be the one that scores points. So we have to get this interception and, and take it back for a pick six. Otherwise we're in trouble. You do not want your defense feeling like that. No, so, not at all. Um, interesting question that I posed to you before we got on the pod. Everyone says that Nebraska still is looking for its identity. What is the identity of this team going to be under Scott Frost? What is the calling card going to be? The hallmark, the when you play Nebraska, this is what you're going to get. What is that going to be for Nebraska? It's not It's not solidified yet. Everybody thought it was going to be fast, up-tempo offense that just scores a bunch of points and, and kills you to death with tempo. That hasn't been the case. They're still, fun. They're still trying to find it. Can it be defense can it be can this defense get to be sort of the black shirts of old defense and then that is the identity of this team yeah the offense is gonna you know it's gonna it's gonna have a couple of poo-poo drives but the defense the pedigree is going to continue to be what it was 15 years ago 20 years ago even 10 years ago in, in 2009 with big bad wrecking ball Dominican Sue. I I don't think it can be that. I I really don't like I I just have a, it's a, I have a hard time picturing like just and I'm trying to think of like is there another example of this and as I explain this maybe you think about it see if you think of one is there an example of a team having a offensive coach that that's his thing it's his baby like. That's what he's known for is running this type of offense or just being an offensive guru of sorts and the play calling was his thing and I'm the former quarterback and all of that. And then his team's calling card is playing tough, rugged defense um, that wins you. Florida. And his offense gets you by. Florida? Florida under Urban Meyer. Well, not get you by. He wasn't an old quarterback, but he's an offensive mind, isn't he? Yeah. but Think like, about those Florida teams that had Brandon Spikes at linebacker. Yeah, but were those also the Tebow teams? Yeah. But you can't have your quarter your quarterback wins the Heisman. But what I'm saying is I'm saying no, he didn't win the Heisman the year they won a national title. The year he won a Heisman was I know this because this was my team growing up. Sorry. <laughs> no, he won 
he won a Heisman in 2007 when they went nine and four. They didn't play for an SEC title game. They didn't play for a national championship. That was a sophomore year. When they when when they went to the national championship in 2008, he was good. He was okay. I mean, really good. Obviously, he was a Heisman finalist, but he didn't win it. I think that was the year Sam Bradford won it. When they played Oklahoma in the national championship, it was the defense that won them the national championship. And kind of throughout that year, it was like, yeah, they have a really good offense. They have a really good offense. Look at their quarterback. And Percy Harvin. God, that dude was awesome. He was so good in college. Yeah. But that defense also had guys like Brandon Spikes and Matt Elam and Joe yeah. Hayden. That defense was elite. So, like, it can happen. Yeah. but That's the only one coming to mind, though. Yeah, because like, but even with that, like, it, it's just tough because that offense, and maybe it's skewed because the offense had like such famous people, I guess, would too as well, kind of led by Tebow. So maybe, but like, even then, if I even if I just give you that Florida example and don't fight it, like, we're still talking about one example that's eh, a little shaky. So maybe, but like, I just it's just hard to picture this. Also, being sorry a- not to interrupt you again. But here's another here's another big difference between the Florida team and this Nebraska team. That Florida team was in Florida for recruiting. Yeah, that too. Like that does end up being, you know, kind of the the, the equalizer on that one too. So like maybe, um, I just it, it would just be hard to uh, to to see that being the case where the identity because I still think I think that even in that scenario where like even if the defense is leading the way with this program and and you know three years from now they've put together some good seasons and they're winning I I still think in the defense is playing really well I still think it's going to be the offense that people identify with the program because of who the coach is that's that's just kind of how that will go even if like the defense should be getting more of the credit. I think that that would be the shift in the conversation. It would just be like, man, why aren't we giving the defense more credit? A thankless job that Eric Schneider has. Yeah. I mean, yes, <laughs> but I think what do you, they had to have known that coming in, like to be totally sure, honest, I'm yeah. sure they had the conversation that like, this is how this is going to go for you regardless of how it goes. I mean, it was like that at UCF, like he had Shaquem green and, and, um, whatever the cornerback's name was, who is now at uh, Minnesota. Who? Mike Hughes. Yes, him. Thank you. Um, is he in Minnesota or is he in New Orleans? There's a wide receiver from UCF. Yeah, the wide Minnesota. receiver. Trey Smith is in New Orleans. That's guy. You got to be questioning. Yeah. Yep. I get, I, I mix, I get the two confused. Um, what do you think the identity should be? Veering off the defense here for a second, probably. But what do you think the identity should be? Um. I think that the identity needs to be like, it's going to be offense, but that it needs to be a different version of the offense that we've seen that it needs to be. Nebraska is going to, they're going to spread you out, but they're going to maul you up front. Like, I think that they need to lean into kind of what's naturally been happening, which is Greg Austin has been really good at recruiting offensive linemen and that it's clear that the, offensive line pipeline offensive line history has resonated on the recruiting trail and they've obviously been able to get a lot of good linemen here um, in their short time so far here and that that needs to be leaned into um, I, I don't know if it will I have my doubts 
but I think that that's where they need to go. And I think, and honestly, I think that you saw what it could look like in that game against Rutgers and you've seen it in little burst in other games. Um, and I think it would serve Nebraska very well if they actually leaned into that and truly embraced that type of identity. Yeah, I'm right with you. One of our friends this week asked for the mailbag, like who, who's the most important recruit for Nebraska in the last four years. And I cheated and gave two guys, but it's kind of, I, I thought Bryce Benhart and Turner Corcoran for the exact reason that you just laid out. Like those guys were, were, big time offensive lineman recruits that if they can turn into like all American kind of players, or at least first team, all big 10 kind of players, then that would mean that they're doing that. What you just described, mm-hmm. which would mean that they're finding a lot of offensive success, I think. Right. And I think that, and it's funny you said it, cause I almost went with Turner on that one. Um, and it, and it's funny because Turner gets a bump in those discussions. I think over Bryce sometimes um, because we know who was after Turner. Cause you know, Ohio state wanted him, you know, OU um, was probably the team that finished second in that recruitment though. Bryce is interesting because he had a lot of those same schools after him. They just did not talk about it um, during his recruitment. Um, so it kind of stinks in a way for him when you talk about about that stuff, but I, I can definitely go with you on Turner or Bryce being the most important recruit over this Frost era so far. One last question for you. Did you read my response in the mailbag uh, to the question about what movie should be turned into a TV series? <laughs> I did not. You did not? I did not. Okay. Before I give you my response, did you see this question? Did you have any thoughts that, that came to mind immediately? You didn't give an answer for it. I did not give an answer for it because I couldn't think of anything that I thought to be the answer. Okay. Let me give you mine. Anchorman. Okay. Becomes an an office style series. Single camera. You get the talking head interviews, the whole shebang. Okay. The random, the random looks at the camera. Tell me that you do not want talking head interviews in the middle of a, an episode with Brick Tamlin. <laughs> okay, I, I mean, yeah, that would kind that would work. I think that that would be a, a quality, you know, television program. And I wish I had kind of thought of that, but yeah, that would be good. Paul Rudd is Paul Rudd is big time now, so he probably doesn't have the time to do it with the twenty five billion movies that Marvel is creating now. But I think that'd be great. And now I kind of want to do it. I want to see it. I, okay, I, I'm going to go with you on that. I could definitely see that being a thing that works. The more I talk about it, Anchorman is uh, Alex's like all-time favorite movie. Okay. And so um, she was kind of reading over my shoulder when I wrote this and got super excited. <laughs> She's like, we my should... work here is complete. Yeah, exactly. She's like, we should do this ourselves and license it. It's like, I don't think that's how that works, but okay. Yeah, give it a shot. See what happens. Well, uh, we got to go. Craig, you probably got stuff to do, I would assume. Sasha's got other people coming in for the podcast studios, so we got to get out of here. Craig, thank you for coming on the podcast, gracing us with your presence for the first time in too long. It was nice to talk to you. Thank you. It was nice to be back finally. First time in 2021. Yeah, first time. God. No, it it still feels like 2020. Um, Thank you to everybody listening. Thank you to everybody that subscribes. Keep reading HailVarsity.com. We'll be back next week. A Huda Media Production.